Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. What do the words no condemnation mean for the believer? Well, on the program, Dr. Neufeld begins our study of Romans chapter 8 as we continue our series, The Power of the Gospel. So let's jump right in as we go back to the Bible in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. One author has written, if you're discouraged, read Romans 8. If you struggle with guilt, read Romans 8. If you struggle with sin, read Romans 8. If you don't know how to pray, read Romans 8. If you're going through trials, read Romans 8. And if you need assurance of your salvation, read Romans 8. Well said, I agree wholeheartedly. Romans 8 is one of the great chapters of the Bible. The pietist Philip Jakob Spener wrote, If the Bible were a ring, the epistle to the Romans would be its precious stone, and Romans chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. John Stott called it one of the best-loved chapters in the Bible. James Edwards said that Romans 7 reminded him of a ringside announcer at a boxing match reporting a losing struggle. But suddenly, Romans 8 interrupts the contest with ecstatic news. Grant Osborne called Romans 8 the snatching of victory from the jaws of defeat. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great English preacher, simply called it one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Before we begin to read it, we immediately notice that something very different is underfoot. If we contrast Romans 8 with Romans 7, we will easily notice that Paul uses the words I or mine or me around 40 times in Romans 7. Romans 7 is about the struggle of the believer with sin. But in Romans 8, all the I and the me is replaced by mentioning no less than 18 times not himself, but rather the Holy Spirit. Indeed, this mention of the Holy Spirit is significant. Up until this point in Romans, the Holy Spirit has only been mentioned four times. He was mentioned in Romans 1 verse 4, in which we were told that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 2.29, speaking about circumcision, Paul says that real circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5.5, Paul tells us that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 7, verse 6, we are told that we have been released from the law and now serve God in the new way of the Spirit. See, up till now, in the book of Romans, Paul has given us hints of the Spirit's work, almost as an image that faintly registers in our consciousness. But now that which was hinted at and briefly mentioned takes center stage. Suddenly, with full-blown clarity, Paul will explain that as the redeemed of the Lord, believers now live by the Holy Spirit. We learn that it was the Holy Spirit who adopted us into the family of God, that it was the Holy Spirit who trains us how to pray, and that the Holy Spirit even intercedes for us when we are too weak to pray. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit takes center stage in this glorious chapter, but there is more. Chapter 7 ended by giving believers a most realistic portrait of the internal struggles that exist in the life of every believer. But if we concentrate only on the struggle against sin, we all become weary. Romans 8 begins with the glorious news that there is no condemnation, and then the chapter ends with the glorious news that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In essence, what this chapter does is lift our eyes from the immediate and from the struggle that we have, and shows us both the power to live in the immediate and the eternal outcome for all who believe. 
We'll take the next two and a half weeks and study Romans 8. The chapter deserves that much attention. But where do we begin? Well, let's begin at the beginning. You'll notice that Romans 8 begins with the word, therefore. That one word is a very important little word. In the Greek, it's just a tiny three-letter word, gar. That word is a kind of a bridge connecting two land masses to each other or two units of thought. The word therefore signals us that we're going to begin a new unit of thought, but it also tells us that what is being said is directly dependent upon or builds upon what has gone before. Now, in most cases, the word therefore would summarize the immediate paragraph before it. See, in that case, going back to the last paragraph in the chapter, Paul ends with his plaintive cry, wretched man that I am, and then his final summarizing statement is, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul had ended Romans 7 by showing the great struggle in all believers, the struggle that left Paul with a kind of divided self, two parts of him in in warfare with the other. All believers have an internal struggle, the flesh against the mind and the heart. And because of that struggle, we cry out, I need help. And Romans 8 provides the answer to a struggle that we can't win by ourselves. And that's true. But the more we read Romans 8, the more we get a sense that the therefore that begins the chapter means to summarize, well, the entire book of Romans up until this point in time. Paul is, as he begins Romans 8, summarizing the entire gospel as he has presented it and then applies that gospel to the personal experience of every single follower of Jesus. So let's do that. Let's remind ourselves what this wonderful book has taught us. Therefore, says Paul, there is no condemnation. See, on what basis do we know that there is no condemnation? Well, let's remember what Paul has taught us so far. Way back in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, Paul wrote, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. So at the very beginning of the book of Romans, we're told that salvation is offered to all who believe, and as the book progresses, we learn what kind of salvation that Paul is talking about. We're saved, we learn, from the righteous anger of God who would condemn us for our sins. After all, as Romans 1 progressed, we are told that God is righteous to express his wrath against the entire human race, for all of us have traded in the truth of the altogether lovely God for idols, and we have failed in one of the most fundamental duties of all of humanity. We have not given thanks to God for his overwhelming kindness. We've actively suppressed the knowledge of God and have taken our internal impulse to worship and have directed it or redirected it toward things that are not God's at all and things that are not worthy of worship. We have all become sinful. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew and have the knowledge of the law, and thus you know the requirements of the law, or if you're a Gentile and have no access to God's revealed will in the Scriptures. Judgment has rightly fallen on both Jew and Gentile, and both are pronounced guilty before God. But, and this is where Romans 3 verse 21 is so vital. 
God has found a way to demonstrate his righteousness in such a manner that you and I are not condemned. Jesus Christ was condemned. God put him forward as a propitiation or a wrath-bearing bloody sacrifice so that in him, God could demonstrate just how he felt about sin and the kind of punishment that sin rightfully deserves. And God was pleased in this perfect sacrifice and in this demonstration of his righteousness. And the good news? Well, it's simple. In Romans 4, Paul shows us that faith, that is, trust in God and in his promise that the wrath-bearing, bloody sacrifice of Jesus covers our sins, trust in that is enough so that you will be counted as righteous in God's sight. As the hymn writer wrote, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And that's why Romans 5 begins with such a joyful note. Therefore, and by the way, there's our beautiful word again, therefore. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. God's no longer angry with anyone who believes. The righteous anger of God has fallen onto Jesus on our behalf. Therefore, we have peace with God. God's smile is upon the life of all who believe. He warmly accepts and makes us his own. We have access by faith into the river of grace, of blessing that flow from his throne. This is the great and marvelous truth of our salvation. But how does that work out in our daily experience? How then do we live our lives? Since we know that the more we sin, the more grace abounded, are we free to continue to sin? And the answer is no. When we were converted, we were united with Christ. We have died with Christ, and therefore we also died to our former way of life. And because of that, we learn that we must not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. And just then, we learn that our flesh rages against the new nature born in us, and we have a great struggle with sin. The struggle is so great that it might even undo us. What shall we do? Who will deliver us from this body of death? And with that comes the wonderful word, therefore. And when we come back, we're going to discover where these truths lead us. Wow. In our study of the power of the gospel, we've now arrived at what's being called one of the most amazing chapters in the whole Bible, Romans 8. Everything that Paul has been talking about in Romans 1 to 7 and the doctrine surrounding the gospel now comes to this great promise. There is no condemnation for the believer in Christ. So how does this incredible statement help us to guide us in holy living? Well, let's find out right after the break. Thanks for listening today. You know, for almost 60 years, Back to the Bible Canada has committed to bringing the truth of God's Word on the air every day to as many Canadians as possible. We believe in the importance of calling people across our nation back to the Bible so that they might know for themselves the real purpose for living and hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's Word is relevant and speaks into every generation and culture. As Wayne Grudem puts it, nowhere in Scripture do we find doctrine studied for its own sake or in isolation from life. If you believe in the mission of Back to the Bible Canada, why not stand with us to further Bible teaching and engagement right across our country? Your prayers and gifts are critical to the growth of this mission and ministry. To donate, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. 
Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of the later manuscripts add the phrase, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But that line is not there in the oldest and best manuscripts we possess, and it is quite unlikely that the phrase was in the original. That phrase didn't need to be in the original because of all of what Paul has taught us about the cross of Christ and what was accomplished there. But for today, as a way of introducing Romans 8, I want to notice four words or phrases from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. First, we've already noticed the word, therefore. Second, let's notice the phrase, no condemnation. Third, notice the importance of the word, now. And fourth, reflect on the richness of those two words, in Christ Jesus. Let's deal with each in turn. First, the word, therefore. It tells us that everything that we have learned in Romans up to this point must find its way into our lives in faith and in experience. We need to count on the truth of what we have heard, and we need to live out the truth of what we've heard. Second, the phrase, no condemnation. The no is an emphatic no. It can mean not any condemnation or not one little piece of condemnation. One Bible teacher asked his hearers a profound question. Should you as a Christian feel guilty for your sins? His answer was that we should, and we should repent, but we should never feel condemned. We never feel that God's face has turned dark towards us for all who believe have been released from condemnation. Here's an illustration from my own life. When I was a boy growing up, I was a bit of a rascal, and I found myself in some difficulty with my father more than once. I soon learned that when my dad was mad at me, I kind of weighed out his anger, and then when things kind of cooled off, I would look for a way to restore things, and we'd be fine again. Strangely enough, in my early days of faith, I took that same attitude toward my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Every time I sinned, I stopped praying as my conscience pricked me, and then I let time pass, and eventually I'd resume my Bible reading and prayer again. I wanted God's anger to pass by. As strange and as lacking as this was in gospel understanding, it was my emotional response to God. I, as it were, laid low for a time. And also, strangely enough, whenever I've shared this as my early experience, I have found a number of people confessing to me that they've had the same attitude. See, this is the radical news. There is no condemnation. None. It's emphatic. Not at any time. We have peace with God. Christ was condemned on our behalf. This is the picture of the cross. So we've noticed the word therefore and then the phrase no condemnation. Now the third word, now. Now speaks of two things. First, it speaks of the advent of the cross. Now that the cross has occurred, condemnation is gone. Now that God has put forth Jesus as a propitiation, now that he has displayed his righteousness in the bloody cross, there is no condemnation. But now also speaks of a promise, the one found in Romans 4, 23 to 24. But the words, it was counted to him, that is, it was counted to Abraham as righteous, were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. 
now speaks of those who believe. Now does more than speak of a change of an era in which Jesus has borne the wrath of the Father, for the words now can only be applied to those who believe. Now, right now, even now, when you feel guilty, there is no condemnation. But there is one more phrase that we must see in order to make this matter complete. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's that small phrase, in Christ Jesus, that makes all the difference in the world. Do you remember that I said that when I was a new Christian, I took the same attitude towards my heavenly father that I had exhibited towards my earthly father? But now let me turn the matter around. Are we free from condemnation not only after we have sinned and repented, but while we're sinning, in the very act of sinning? And here the answer must be yes. Forgiveness is emphatic. No condemnation means at no time are we, once we are in Christ, ever condemned again. And it's right here that we still struggle. We say to ourselves, if I let myself think this way, I will take sin less seriously. I'll become reckless in my way of living. I won't think I need to lay low after sinning and not talk to my Heavenly Father for a couple of days. I'll approach my Heavenly Father in a most cavalier manner, sinning and boldly entering the throne room. See, the key to answering what is for many a difficulty are found completely in the words, in Christ. They speak of the union all believers have in Christ. Go back to Romans 6, 5 to 6. For if we have been united with him, well, let's stop there. Did you hear the words of union with Christ? United with him, says the apostle. If that's happened, said the apostle, well, if that's happened, what then? Hear him again. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And that is what union with Christ means. When Paul says, as he does in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he means those who are united with Christ as he has described it in Romans 6, united with him in death and in resurrection. That's what it means. I think John Piper has said it very well. He said, it matters what you're hoping for through forgiveness. It matters why you want it. If you want forgiveness only for the sake of savoring the creation, he said, then the creator is not honored and you're not saved. Forgiveness is precious for one final reason. It enables you to enjoy fellowship with God. If you don't want forgiveness for that reason, you won't have it at all. The saving motive for wanting eternal life is given in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If we do not want eternal life because it means joy in God, then we won't have eternal life. We simply kid ourselves that we're Christians if we use the glorious gospel of Christ to get what we love more than Christ. The good news will not prove good for any for whom God is not the chief good, end quote. And if you have been moved so that as Paul cries out in Philippians 3.10, that I might know him. See, if that's not your cry, if your only cry was that I might know forgiveness, you've not yet understood what's being offered to you. 
might I ask you then to pray this prayer with me? Pray something like this. Oh, Lord, I have only lived for me and for my selfish desires. I have not thought of you or loved you. I have not given thanks to you for all things. This day, I believe that Christ died for just these kinds of sins that I've committed. So today, I renounce my life and my lifestyle choices, my most cherished hopes and dreams for me, and I throw myself on your mercy. Kill every dream that I have that does not include Jesus and resurrect in me a passionate desire to know and love only you for all of eternity. If that's the prayer that you've prayed for the first time today, congratulations. As impossible as it seems, this is the only prayer that we can pray that makes a difference. And once we've prayed that, there is no condemnation. We have only life before us and the promises of God. Thanks today, John. Uh, Just one question for you. How did you realize that how you were dealing with your dad and in essence how you were dealing with sin needed to be different? Yeah, I would never have known of my own. And, And this is an ad for back to the Bible. We need to get back to the Bible. When we read the Bible consistently over a pattern of a lifetime, it begins to correct our ways of thinking. Sometimes we have these aha moments that are brought on by the Holy Spirit, and suddenly we see everything new, and it's kind of like the scales fall from our eyes. And we say, oh God, I didn't know that. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation that you gave. So get back to the Bible. That's the key. Such a powerful and deeply encouraging message today. The reality for all believers is that we are no longer condemned for our sins. It's such a hard lesson to apply sometimes. We forget about how the gospel has set us free from guilt and shame. This truth ought to transform the way we turn to God in those moments, confessing our sins and experiencing the freedom and peace that he gives. I pray that today's study resonates with you, gives you a sense of peace, and draws you closer in your walk with Jesus. Perhaps that's your prayer as well. Well, that concludes today's program, but join us again tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues our series in Romans chapter 5 to 8 with a message called Free at Last. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. How much do you know about the Bible's teaching on the second coming of Christ? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 32 to 33, he says, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. The return of Jesus is one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith, but unfortunately, many Christians don't have a solid biblical understanding of it. And with so many contradicting theories out there, they only add to the confusion. Well, Dr. Neufeld's recent new series, Remembering the Second Coming of Jesus, provides a great overview of the topic and addresses many of the common questions and concerns, like what are the signs of His coming and how do we cultivate an attitude and lifestyle of calm expectation? Well, this month, we want to make this important series available to you as our gift. So be sure to order your free CD series and even share the teaching with others who need to know. Get the right perspective on the second coming of Jesus. 
Call us today at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or email us at info at backtothebible.ca.